Hello, and welcome to the latest podcast brought to you by VJ Oncology, an open access video journal providing healthcare professionals with trusted and up-to-date information in oncology. In this podcast, we are delighted to have five experts discussing the latest immunotherapy updates in gastrointestinal cancers. First up, we hear from Ghassan Abu Alpha from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, talking on updates in immune checkpoint inhibitors for treating hepatocellular carcinoma. As we all know now, the combination therapy is a novel approach to really treating primary liver cancer. Um, at the moment, we know, or at least we're aware of doublet uh, or two combination therapies that are available. One of them is atezolizumab plus bevacizumab, and the other one is of the dervalumab plus tramilumumab. Uh, to be fair, they were never compared head to head, and they probably they should never be compared head to head because we have to really consume and use the energy and the and the whole economy of the clinical trial towards improvement to towards novel ideas and not necessarily to compare the ideas that we have. Nonetheless, uh, quite importantly, that uh, the uh, better understanding of that data is evolving with time. If anything, three important variables are key in deciding how patients might be treated in that regard. Number one is the issue of the checkpoint inhibitors. All of them, without an exception, have a potential for anti-drug antibody rendering the drug ineffective. If anything, data that came out from the atezolizumab uh, plus bevacizumab data or the Ambrave 150 study showed that 30% of patients could have anti-drug antibody, and this would impact outcome, as was reported a few weeks ago in JAMA Oncology, where the hazard ratio will worsen quite a bit, enough that it will be almost equivalent to the standard care of sorafenib per se. The 30% or even sometimes reported up to 50% with atezolizumab is a little bit nerving because, for example, dervalumab, the chance for anti-drug antibody is only 1.5%. The second point is, which is important, practical and important to remember, having an endoscopy to ensure that there's no varices is key. And please, 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 if you decide you want to give atezolizumab plus bevacizumab, which is a great therapy, make sure that your patient get endoscopies. Don't just say, oh, I'm not that worried about that patient because you never know when the I'm not worried can become a problem. So please, endoscopies are key in that regard. Now, thirdly, truly, the issue is, and already you kind of like I touched on a little bit in the question to begin with, is who are those patients? Because after all, uh, we know liver cancer is a disease that will occur because of different uh, risk factors or etiologies. Uh, the four key of them is hepatitis B, hepatitis C, fatty liver disease, and of course, fatty liver disease, secondary to alcohol. So alcohol and fatty liver disease or non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. There is a certain understanding now that everybody does benefit from the checkpoint inhibitors-based therapy like the atuzumab, bevacizumab, or the dervalumab, trimulumab. However, interestingly, we know very well that relatively speaking, the happy patients might fare best, have followed by the hep C patients, followed by the non-viral patients. Data that was a little bit kind of intriguing to us, and I brought it up at the great debates as well, but this was more from ILCA, the International Liver Cancer Association that happened in Madrid in September, where the patients who really were treated with the atuzolumab plus bevacizumab, the group in the UK, wisely and smartly, went on to a real-world data analysis. And they collected patient again on the atuzolumab plus bevacizumab in real-world data to see how they fared 
in that regard. And interestingly, the 19.2 month median survival went all the way down to 15.74 months. Why is that? We're not really sure, but at least one attribute is that 50% of the patients on the Himalaya study, uh, or I correct myself, 50% of the patients on the Embrave 150 study were hepatitis B, where in the real AB study from the UK, only about 30% were hep B. And interestingly, that 15.73 month median survival for the um, for the Embrave 150, which is really now the number to go by with that further data, interestingly, is also 16.5 or about 16.5 in regard to Dervatrami, with ironically still 30% patient hep B. So know that anybody with hep B, if you have a rock solid, all hep B patients with the Dervatrami, probably the number will go way higher. But if we were to really compare to the best possible between all those uh, studies, I would say that probably they are equal God, in regard to outcome. And of course, then you will decide based on the antidrug antibody how nerved you are about that status that is especially dominant in regard to the atezolizumab, plasmizumab, and of course, endoscopy that is required, of course, critically in regard to the atezolizumab plus perfusizumab. Next up, Iran Affair from Compugen discusses targeting the novel immune checkpoint receptor PVRIG in immunologically cold tumors, including microsatellite stable colorectal cancer. PVRIG was identified using our computational platform as a new checkpoint in the DINAMO and access, include also TIGIT. And what we are showing in this presentation is that PVRG seems to be unique compared to all the other known checkpoints, the approved checkpoints and experimental experimental checkpoints. And PVRG has a very unique and dominant expression on cells which have strong proliferative capacity which are called the stem-like memory T-cells. And we show now using an advanced spatial transcriptomic approach that these cells with high expression of PVRG localize to a, a, an area in the tumor environment, which is called tertiary lymphoid structure, which is a structure in which local T-cell priming occurs. And this is also very unique to PVRG. So overall, this builds an hypothesis that PVRG has a unique capacity to inhibit expansion of these stellar memory T-cells. And therefore, by using COM-701, our uh, first-in-class potential PVRG blocker antibody, you have the potential to unleash the proliferation of these stellar memory T-cells and potentially now make tumors which are less inflamed more inflamed due to this unique activity of PVRG. And then in the second part of the presentation, what we start to show is the preliminary data of patients' samples of patients treated with COM-701, either in monotherapy or in combination. And what we see, there are patients with difficult-to-treat indications, MSS, CRC, ovarian. These are cold indications which have no too many T-cells inside, hardly any actually. And these indications normally are not responding to checkpoints. And what we show here is actually that PVRG exactly along the value hypothesis that we just discussed is unique or seems to be unique in its ability to drive T cells to penetrate or to proliferate inside the tumor macro environment of these difficult to treat indi indications. And PVRG seems to immune modulate this, uh, these patients potentially leading now to a better clinical outcome. And we also describe in SATC in a different presentation, some preliminary data of anti-tumor responses in MSS-CRC patients of COM-701. And later on this year, we're also going to describe the activity of COM-701 in combinations in ovarian cancer patients, another type of a cold tumor. 
And now we have Michael Overman from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center sharing the results of a phase one clinical trial exploring the combination of COM701 plus nivolumab in patients with microsatellite stable colorectal cancer and liver metastases. So at uh, the SITC 2022, we present the COM701 plus nivolumab uh, data set for patients with microsatellite stable or proficient mismatch repair colorectal cancer. Uh, so out of that phase one study, we pull out all the, those colorectal cancer patients uh, and look at the results in regards to kind of safety and efficacy. And so I think the first point is that the, the safety is really well demonstrated. Um, there really were no serious adverse events related to study drugs. They, they were kind of uh, events related to um, uh, disease-related toxicity. Uh, and so overall, the safety profile was excellent. Um, in regards to activity, again, there were 22 microsatellite-stable colorectal cancer patients uh, that were enrolled. Uh, and for efficacy, we saw a um, response rate of uh, 9% uh, to patients with response. Um, and then there were also patients with stable disease. And if you look at the um, population, the subset kind of with liver-only metastasis, which tends to be a population that is more uh, resistant to immune therapies. We've seen that in other kind of um, pilot data sets. Uh, that group actually had those two responders. And so so within that kind of data set, uh, we did see a 12% kind of response rate in, in microsatellite-stable colorectal cancer with liver metastases. Now we hear from Andras Hexi from Baylor College of Medicine, providing an overview of strategies to improve the efficacy in CAR T cells in solid tumors, especially in HCC. Obviously my view is, is heavily biased, but I'm really excited about cell therapies. And if you look at objectively, the data that has come out for the last 10 years or so, uh, after treating patients with uh, CD19 positive uh, lymphoid malignancies and now more broadly patients, for example, with uh, multiple myelomas. So these are blood cancers and there has been exceptional, really breakthrough results when using these genetically engineered lymphocytes where we, you know, they can achieve up to 90% of complete remission rate after a single infusion. And now we start to see that even about 50% of these patients will remain in, the, in, in remission after at least six months. And we are talking about a population that was otherwise uncurable. So one would speculate that, well, this approach should be effective in solid tumors as well. But that hasn't really been the case. And, and there lies the opportunity that if something can be so efficient, so effective, you know, how can we how can we make it work for solid tumors, for patients with solid tumors? What are the barriers? Why don't these cells sometimes don't work? So I think um, my lab and, and obviously a lot of other laboratories are working on trying to figure out what is it that, uh, that needs to be fixed and to, for these engineered cells to work better against solid tumors. And you have to remember that these are biologic therapies. So as opposed to just creating a molecule, in this case, you can tweak and engineer and reprogram these cells slightly better and create iterations of the cellular product, first of, of course in the laboratory, but ideally later in the inpatient that have higher potency, better efficacy. And I think that's, that's really, really exciting. And, and uh, my hope is that we'll see 
similar results in solid tumor patients very soon that has been the case for patients with uh, leukemias and lymphomas. Um, you know, part of the issue is that the solid tumors are have uh, a microenvironment that's immunosuppressive, so we have to break through this immunosuppression. I think access to these cell therapies are, are still somewhat barriers uh, to, to many of the patients that may not live close to some of the larger centers that, uh, you know, have these uh, trials available. And so there's some, there are some challenges ahead, but I think those can be all solved. To overcome, for example, the immunosuppressive tumor microenvironment, we started to work on um, providing a survival signal that is absent in, in the tumor microenvironment. And it's really important for T cells, once they get activated, to survive and proliferate. So this molecule is called interleukin-15, and and you know it's been 10 years since the first groups have shown preclinical um, uh, enhancement of CAR T cells when interleukin 15 has been co-expressed and you know engineered into the cells in addition to the CAR. So our lab is is you know kind of using this this approach now with glycan 3 CAR T cells, and in the early results. Um, um, from from patients show a really dramatic improvement on of expansion and persistence in uh, perhaps most of the patients now that we treated once this molecule is overexpressed. So we think that this way this is one of the ways to overcome the immunosuppressive tumor microenvironment. Finally, Mitchell Ho from National Institutes of Health discusses the GPC3 targeting CAR T cell therapy currently under investigation in clinical trials for hepatocellular carcinoma. I gave a talk at the San Antonio Liver Cancer Symposium. I think that's how you contact me. Uh, we have studied GPC3, analyzed its expression. It is low in liver cancer pathogenesis in terms of wind and the YAP signaling and such things for many years, we tried to validate as a therapeutic target in liver cancer. So we could use that to treat the liver cancer patients. And in the talk uh, I'm, I actually did in San Antonio is more focused on the so-called CAR T cell therapies. That therapy use the T-cells and engineer the T-cells with the antibody we isolate is called humanized YP7, called YP7 antibody. That's the antibody we isolate in the Laboratory of Molecular Biology National Cancer Institute in Bethesda. We use that antibody to engineer the human T-cells and then guide the T-cells to kill cancer. In this case, it's liver cancer. And that's what we, I have been focused on in my talk. And we show in vitro and also in vivo uh, studies in mice and show is quite potent. We have an ongoing clinical trial using the humanized YP7 CAR T cells for treating liver cancer in, in the NIH clinical center. And I collaborate with my colleagues, Dr. Tim Gretton here, uh, running a clinical trial and for treating hepatocellular carcinoma patients at NIH. So we're really looking forward to collaboration and also recruiting patients 
for testing the this uh, uh, new therapies yeah, in our trial. Thank you for listening. If you have found this podcast insightful, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at VJ Oncology to join in the conversation and check out VJOncology.com for all our exclusive coverage on gastrointestinal cancers. Thank you.